0: But last week, we began a series on relationships called Relationships That Matter. And you'll notice the, uh, the, up on the wall there. And, and I, I said there were two relationships that you cannot hide from. And, and the first is our relationship with God. And recognize, now, I recognize that not everybody has a saving relationship with Christ and with the Father. But one day, people are going to enter eternity, and at that moment, they will discover what their relationship with Christ is all about. And uh, so that is very, very true. But there is a second relationship in which one can never escape, and I'm going to put a word on the screen, and it's this one, the self, the self. We cannot run from this relationship. And understand, it's not simple. The reality is is that the relationship with ourself is deeply connected to this idea of our identity and how we operate with ourselves in context of that. And as I was digging even this week, I realized I could have spent a number of weeks on this, and because it is a challenge and it goes as much more to it than I think we imagine. But let me throw a couple pieces at you that add to the complexity of our relationship with ourselves. The first one, and I hinted at it already, our relationship with ourselves is influenced by our relational standing with God. To say it more pointedly, if we have no saving faith... If there's no Holy Spirit working within our soul, it will make a difference the way we think about ourselves. Our lenses are going to be different depending on whether we have a relationship with God or not. Now, I I realize that this world, there realizes that this world, it deals a lot about the issue of self. Matter of fact, think of the words that are generating books, and TV shows, and even research, students, if you're a student here today, recognize, you're going to recognize some of these words that your teachers are talking about. Just listen to some of the words. Self-image, self-esteem, self-worth, self-confidence, self-respect, all are dealing with our identity and how we relate to ourselves Uh, Parents, a a side note for you, I, I really think this impacts you, and especially remember is if your child knows Christ, or they don't know Christ, it makes a difference in the way you and what you communicate to them. That matters, and maybe you want to think through that lens as we're walking through this stuff even today. But if you're here today, and maybe you're not sure that you even have a faith, and you do not not sure if that you know Christ. You know what? I, first, I'd thank you for coming. I appreciate that you're here and even thinking about the issue of relationships. But my hope is at the end of the day that you'd be challenged to really dig a little bit more and go, what does it mean to be and have a relationship with Jesus? If you'd love to meet, I'd love to have a cup of coffee with you in that. But there is a second issue that adds to the complexity as well in our identity, ourself, our self, our quest for meaning and purpose. And the second bullet is this. Sin and Satan are so very devious when it comes to relationships, including self, ourselves. Sin and Satan interfere with our view of self and with Every other relationship that exists in our lives. Now, I've listed some things, and you don't even have to fill in the blank here. I want to remind you, first of all, how Satan works. It's important when it comes to relationships. Number one, there Satan lies; he is a deceiver, the father of lies. I have the. I'm going to read the verses. I don't have them on the screen, but listen to how John writes. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's Satan. The second one there, Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. He's not only speaking what's false, he's looking to hide the truth, looking to cover up and hide truth from people. He's working. The third one. He tricks people with costumes of light and righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 11, I won't read all of it, but Paul is writing and telling the church that there are people that are trying to kind of pose as apostles. And he tells the church that even Satan disguises himself as as an angel of light. And in light of that, he has servants. Satan has servants who disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. It's a spiritual. Satan has spiritual workers in this world who profess enough truth to actually join churches. Do we realize that? And they join churches, and they even can get in positions of teaching and matter of fact, Paul calls this, they teach the doctrine of demons in 1 Timothy 4, chapter 1. Now, catch this. In the workers, it doesn't have to be satanic worship. That's not what we're talking about here. Or it doesn't have to be Ouija boards, which is connected to the demonic world. No, it is more subtle. Satan works in subtle things and just needs to to create defective truth in people's lives to impact them. But in number four, look at another one. Satan tempts people to sin, even in relationships, by the way. Uh, Think back to Jesus that was tempted by Satan himself in the wilderness. Judas, successful in in tempting him the days before he was going to the cross in Luke 22 there. But listen as Paul writes to the church at Corinth here, 2 Corinthians 11, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts, here's he speaking to a church, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He's trying to trick us and tempt us. Number five, look at this one. Satan plucks the word of God out of of people's hearts and chokes out faith. Mark 4 is a parable of the uh, soils. The seed of God is sown in the ground and, and it falls on the path and Satan immediately comes and it says it takes it away. He plucks the word. Why? Because he hates faith. He hates people moving toward faith. And the word of God is a faith producer. And if he can pluck it away, get people to avoid it, he wins. See, Paul knew that Satan's design is to choke off the faith of people who who have heard the word of God. The sixth one, Satan fights against even the plans of missionaries. I don't know if you realize this. Paul tells us how his missionary plans were frustrated. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 2. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered us. See, Satan hates evangelism. He hates discipleship and he will throw all kinds of obstacles he can in the way even of missionaries, evangelists, and when people need to get discipled. He wants to stunt people's growth and movement toward Christ. He wants to stunt our identity and twist it on us. And a stunted faith, you understand, intersects deeply with how we relate to ourselves. So if we don't think that we have an enemy out there that looks to hurt relationships, you're fooling yourself. We do. He's warring against ourselves. He's warring against our marriage relationships. He's looking at young people and saying, I want to stunt you and I want to have stop you from growing closer to Christ. And it is against any relationship that will move us toward Christ. He looks to put obstacles in the way. Students, Do you realize he is inviting you into relationships that will take you down the wrong path and move you away from Jesus? Satan wants to confuse people, take them off a path of spiritual growth. But here's a key question for you. What does it mean to have a proper biblical view of ourselves? See, the t- challenge, though, is that we live in a world that's preoccupied with the self, preoccupied with self-image. Matter of fact, in 2013, Oxford Dic- Dictionary declared the word of the year, selfie. Let me get my cell phone out. Well, let's take a selfie here, okay? It's the, the word selfie. And understand that word comes into play even in our self-image. But let me give you today three options how we tend to view ourselves. Three options how we relate to the self. Number one in your notes, I said it this way. People tend to have a high view of self. Some people, okay? a high view of self. Now, where do I get that from? I I want to put up Romans chapter 12, verse 3. This is a critical verse for us this morning because it speaks to this issue. Look how it reads in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. See, that verse implies that as people relate to themselves, they can think too highly of themselves. An elevated view of self. And Paul here is warning against it. Why? Because he understands how sin works. What's happening here? People are believing in their own glory. They deserve good things in life. I've earned it. And a matter of fact, they want glory. That word, glory, it means to be lifted up. Think of self-glory for for us to lift ourselves up, have admiration. And then we can feel good about ourselves because others see us as significant, important, our beauty, our intelligence, power, wealth. See, people with a high view of self believe that glory for the self is actually really, really good. Matter of fact, they know that glory actually tastes good to the soul. Now, how how do people get to that place where they want to glorify the self and that becomes the goal and where they feel really, really good? It it actually comes out of well, fourth century, there's a theologian named Augustine. And he tells us the deepest form of self of of sin is called self-love. Self love feeds self glory. Deep love feeds glory seeking. And realize that it existed even in Satan. And he used it even in the temptation to Adam and Eve. Remember the temptation. God is holding something back from you guys. You get to be like God. He's holding, he's, he's keeping you from something. And part of that was glory. See, see, you can have beauty just like God. But see, that was the essence of Satan and even how he fell into sin. He became a glory seeker. And he said to himself, I can have the beauty just like God. I can have greatness just like God. And he wanted to be worshipped just like God. Check out Isaiah chapter 14. I'm not going to go there this morning. There's a passage in there just, it reveals Satan himself. But too high a view of the self, self self-glory, leaves God out of the equation. And make no mistake, there are plenty of people who find this view of self very, very attractive. And they relate to themselves and their identity gets twisted in here. But there is another group of people on the other end. They know they don't have any glory and they want it. The second group of people, people of second choice here, people that have a low view of self. A low view. I came across a quote here from this week from Tim Keller. He's a pastor. and He's an author. Look how he wrote it. Up until... The 20th century, traditional cultures, and even some still today I would say, always believed that a too high a view of self was the root cause of all evil in the world. But in our modern culture, we have developed an utterly opposite cultural consensus, meaning this, the problems in the world are because we have a low view of self, a low view. I think Keller is right on the money. We swung from one side all the way to the other. And now the problems in this world is people just don't have, they have such a low view of self. And the problem again is I don't love myself. You know, there's a workbook that I've, I use, try to help people understand themselves. It's called The Search for Significance by Robert McGee. And he lists some things that people think, what they're thinking in this area. I'll put them on the screen. God doesn't really care about me. I'm an unlovable, worthless person. Nobody ever loves me. I'll never be able to change I'll be a failure all my life, and I guess I always will be a failure. If people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. You know, when you look at all of those things, do you resonate with any of them? Deep within the soul, are, is that the way you might think? That you've checked here. Or, or maybe your children are thinking some of these things. But see the tension. A high view leads to pride, arrogance, self righteousness. A low view leads to feeling inferior, worthless, feelings of uselessness. I don't measure up, the, fa- <clears throat> the feel, or failure and, and lack of confidence. And I don't think we realize this <clears throat> that even f- it leads to physical issues and the way we act physically in this world, anorexia, bulimia, cutting. Use of steroids. So make no mistake about this. When people with a low view are wanting to swing to a high view of self. We get ourselves of the low view and we keep trying things to get out of that so we can get some self glory. How do we do that? I, you know, the list actually is endless. Tummy tucks. Botox, never ending hair care, orthodontics, dieting, gym memberships, makeup. Now, you're hearing a few of those and you're going, kind of, you're going to want to throw some things at me. But listen, it's not that they're all bad. It's good to care about our appearance, it's good to care about our bodies. But when these things become the focus and when we're using them to fill the hole of loneliness, to find meaning in life, and to get a high view for ourselves, they will become a problem. And when that happens, when we're using those things, functionally, you're pulling out anything of what God is saying and you ignore God. God gets ignored. See, when our view of self is too high or it's too low, it will then also impact the relationships with ourself and with other people. But we leave out God. Now, yes, the question, is one worse than the other? And, and I would say it this way, they're both wrong. They're both wrong. Let me put up Romans 12 again. I got to point something out here. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And look at this last phrase. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You catch that? So here, this, we need to have an accurate, sober view. Now I'd put it this way: a biblical view of ourselves, and it will make a difference in our relationships. It'll make a difference in our self identity and where meaning is found in life to feel good about life. But that, but here again, I, I got to come back realize that the sin of self love is pulling us down another path away from a biblical view. It's pulling us to have self-glory. And self-love pulls us at times then to beat ourselves up because we don't have any glory. But here's where we got to choose. Path number three. We must have a biblically honest view of ourselves an honest view of ourselves. But here's the pathway, the key for our movement here. And you notice I said it this way. We need to replace false standards surrounding the self with God's standards. What does God say? See that 12.3 there, according to the faith that God has assigned See, God is doing something here. It means that God defines what is true about the self. It's true what is right about ourselves. And Satan wars against it. And he works to confuse us in it of what God has assigned. See, Satan in the flesh wants, they want to define and be the measuring stick about our identity about relationships about who we are as people they would rather he would rather go glory get glory for yourself now what are the things that Satan wants us to measure by that moves us either to a high view or a low view of ourselves and catch this he inserts it into the world in a very subtle way now so I'm going to give you a list not all inclusive and then I want to contrast it of what does God's measurement say about it. So the false measurements from Satan and the world, look at this, our appearance. See so many people measure their worth and they relate to themselves based on their appearance. And I'll tell you this, it's a false measurement. It's a false measurement. Look at the verse there that I have down. God's measurement. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That applies to men as well. See, Satan tells us, don't worry about fearing God. Don't worry about moving into a relationship with with Christ. Work on your beauty, on your outward appearance. Now, if I come back with a wig next week, You'll probably be wondering if I listen to my own sermon, okay? But people put so much energy in working on the outside, they forget the inside of the soul. And parents, I I, got to go here with you because this is so critical with your children. And is their quest for beauty, good looks, uh, do we realize in the media world how many, first of all, makeup artists, what they do, and the photoshopping that takes place with, in those pictures? Do we realize that? See, we've allowed the media to actually claim the right to define what is beautiful. Don't we? And, and this, I think this is true as we grow older, we still fall into that trap. You know, when I was coming out of high school, I worked on a farm, so we did lots of physical stuff. I was a rock-hard 175 pounds. And there's no rock anymore, and there's no heart anymore for me. <laughs> but doesn't mean that we're less valuable as we grow older even. And you go, absolutely not. Look at another verse. Gray hair is a crown of splendor. It's attained by a righteous life. Proverbs 16, 31. I look at my hair in the mirror and there's every morning there's less hair and more silver rather than blonde. You see the challenge to that? Our appearance, is, folks, is a false measure it's a false standard how we gauge our identity in this world do you realize that the media is so glory driven when it comes to looks and moms and dads man you need to have a discussion if you have daughters man you need to be talking to your daughters on this issue and one thing i challenge you to do here years and years ago I, i was i i brought into a youth ministry one time and a college ministry, magazines that point to how the culture wants to define beauty. And and parents, just go to, on the web and go to the magazine 17. It's been around for years and years and years, that magazine. And the targeted age is from 12 to 17. The median age, I read it here this week, is 16. Take a peek peek at it. And what you will realize and what is promoted is so contrary to what God wants for your girls. Matter of fact, to say that Satan is using that magazine for his scheming is an understatement. Just take a peek at it sometime. Our looks. That's how we define ourselves, how we relate to ourselves. Number two, gotta keep going here, our abilities. How do we measure our self-worth according to what we can or cannot do? Look at the standard Psalm 147. God's pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor is delight in the legs of a man, how fast he can run. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. You know what? You may not be the most talented or skilled, or especially as much as you would like, But does that make you less valuable? The answer is no. You can have lots of talent. Does it make it increase God's love for you? If you have lots of talent, the answer is no. Our abilities are a false measurement of worth and our identity. Number three, our accomplishments. This, I think, is probably the biggest one. It is such a false standard. See, some people measure their worth by the degrees on the wall or their trophies on the shelf. And you know what? I got to admit, as I was pondering this issue, this is the one that I got stuck in in high school and college and why it was in the area of sports. I don't know if probably some of you know this, I've said this, but I was hyper-competitive. And I de- dedicated my life for accomplishments. Uh, I, I cringe saying this, but I'll, I'll just share it. I earned 13 letters between 8th grade and 12th grade. And my sophomore year, I was all-conference in baseball, basketball, and football. And then did that the junior year and my senior year. And I was all-state in football. And I was all region and basketball. And I looked back and it was all about glory seeking. It was glory seeking. And I came to a place years ago where I took all of the trophies, all of the stuff, and I threw them out. And I didn't even want my kids to even know what I did. I still haven't told them that. I hope they don't listen to this. And listen to this, the glory-seeking hindered me from what Jesus wanted from me. It hindered me in high school, it hindered me in college. And why would, would I, I think back and why would I want to influence people? That was my attitude back then, spiritually. I had more important things to accomplish See, knowing and desiring to be used by God wasn't even on my radar. At middle school, high school, I had no understanding of what it meant to present another one person complete in Christ. That's where Steve is pushing our students here. And looking back, I think probably the more discouraging thing, I really didn't care. Now, God intervened, gave an injury which wiped it all away. And I look back, it was God's hand in movement in my life. See, parents, you gotta think long and hard on the issues of activities and sports, and at least at the minimum, look in the mirror, because are there hints of glory seeking that's coming into play for our kids and glory for yourself as parents? If it's glorying about identity seeking and if it's shaping your identity, now I gotta be careful because parents, can they do it right? Yeah. I think they can, but the path, I'm convinced, is narrower. I had some conversations with some people even this weekend in this area. But we need to be sit at the feet of Jesus and be honest with ourselves. Is it glory-seeking that we want? But adults, i, I got to go here with you because how about being the best salary at work? The best numbers at work. We can't escape the issue of accomplishments and how much that feeds into our identity. Look at 2 Corinthians 10 12, God's measurement. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves to some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. They're not wise. Let me go to the next one, our possessions. Our possessions, some believe that the more we have, the more it creates security and that self-worth and I can relate to myself better. So, you know what, I need the size of the savings account, the retirement account, and it all spills over into our identity. Here's God's measurement. A man's life does not consist, consist in the abundance of his possessions, Luke 12, 15. It doesn't say it might not. It does not. It means you can lose it all, but your value as a person does not change according to God. Your net worth has nothing to do with your personal value and how God views you. Listen to David in Psalm 16. Psalm 16 too, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. See, does God care about how we think about ourselves, about our identity and how we relate to ourselves? And I'm going to go, yes, yes. But the pathway is not just to think positive thoughts about ourselves. That's what TV pastors t- tell you. They give you some Bible light and tons of positive thinking, positive self-talk But they never talk about sober judgment of the self. See, I think this, there is a pathway that we need to head down and be rooted in. And I was reading some books on this issue and really discovered this from a couple authors. And let me give you the pathway to, I think, a biblical identity. It's the issue of worship. The path to a biblical identity is worship. Now you go, Ken, how does that fit? Well, let me show you. First is this. Worship God as Savior. As your Savior. Christ as Savior. If it wasn't for Christ, and here's where it fits that sober judgment, it tells us that we would be trapped and we'd be headed for hell and it doesn't matter what happens in this world. Without the cross, it would be, we would be taking the wide path that leads to destruction. And he says, no, it's the narrow path that leads to life, and it's the cross of Christ. So we recognize we are sinners. But listen to this, we worship because he paid for my sin and your sin because he loves us. And when we worship the Son as Savior, we acknowledge that we tried our independence. It's the seeking self glory, and we acknowledge Him as Savior. Do you see how it, it's the, the point where it steers us back to how God views us? But the second one here worship God as Sovereign, Creator, and Lord. Worship him as creator. You go, okay, how does that fit with our identity, the way we relate to ourselves? Know this. He made us. We are his design. I I wish I had more time to give you more verses. Look at Psalm 139, last passage. You How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They they outnumber the grains of the sand, and when I wake up, you are still with me. Do you believe that? That's the measurement. As you worship God, you begin to acknowledge that he made us. He designed us with strengths, with weaknesses, with things that we don't like, He still made us that way. And we worship Him. And it creates to an identity that's sober-minded and biblical. So think of some of the things. Just listen, I'll close with these statements. Do you believe that you are valuable in God's eyes? Do you believe that you're sinful? Scripture teaches that But do you believe that you're loved and you're forgiven if you know Christ? Do you believe that God created you and you are unique and that God loves you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God redeemed you if you have a relationship with Him? Do you believe that God looks on the inside of our hearts? That's the most important thing. Do you believe that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That he resides in us. Do you believe that this body one day will be raised? We're going to get new bodies. Isn't that cool? And if you believe that, then you must worship him. See, that is the pathway. To figure out how do you relate to the self. Because relating to the self also intersects deeply when we relate to other people. And you catch how we view God, even himself. we got to trust God that he made us rightly. But we got to put on the lens of the, what's the measurements. It's what the word tells us who we are. And that we're in Christ. Let's stand and pray.